Hello there. Hello. I'm Arna Martinez. I am Ricardo Deacon. You're listening to The Recommendation Game, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend films the other has not seen. We watch them separately and then Skype to discuss them. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's film is Heaven's Gate from 1980. It has been called the most controversial motion picture of its time. It is the most talked about and written about film of the decade. Now, from the director of The Deer Hunter, United Artists presents Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. The story of Jim Averill. He was born into the world of the rich and powerful, but his heart and dreams were with the people. James Averill, the sheriff of Jackson County in Wyoming, is involved in a class war against the mercenary Nathan Champion, great name, who packs the area's rich cattle farmers over its impoverished immigrants. The film was directed by Michael Camino, produced by Joan Carelli, written by Michael Camino, starring Chris Christopherson, Christopher Walken, John Hurt, Sam Waterston, Brad... Brad Dourif. Yes. How do I know that name? He's the doctor in Deadwood. And also he's... Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. He, he's also Grim of Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. That means nothing to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isabel Huppert, Jeff Bridges, and Joseph Cotton. Music by David Mansfield. Cinematography by... Repeat Offender? Villeneuve Sigmund? Yeah, I think that he did the uh, Scarecrow. Yes. He's a, that's he, at least one other film he's done, I think. So, edited by... <laughs> God help them. Lisa Fruchtman, Gerald Greenberg, William Reynolds, and Tom Rolfe. Ricardo, why did you pick this film? I picked this movie because I think that it is a criminally underwatched movie. Mm. Uh, I think that it is a movie that has suffered by its reputation for what happened upon its release. The American film industry is still trying to cope with a major news story out of Hollywood this week. A $40 million film by an Oscar-winning director may be the biggest bomb in Hollywood history. One of the most ambitious, most expensive, longest Hollywood movies in many years has been yanked by United Artists. He wanted to make the great American movie, but he's come up with dust. Like many people, I welcomed the the re-release of the movie that came out in 2013, which is the Mm. version that you watched. This was the first time that I seen this version. I seen the Turner classic version of the movie that is like slightly longer than this one. It's just a couple of scenes that are rearranged and stuff like it wasn't overseen by Michael Camino, but it's mm. uh, very similar to this version of the movie. As far as I remember, I haven't seen this movie in ages, but I saw the the original theatrical cut as well, which is about an hour and 20 minutes shorter than what you watched. Uh, wow. To say that what, the movie what makes... What yeah, I I will mention afterwards, but like okay. uh, I'm curious more about what you thought about the movie before we mentioned because I might get all a, the other yeah yeah distractions. When they came out, it's one of these things that is pure strange because this uh, re-release is not something like Alexander the Oliver Stone movie or even even Kingdom of Heaven that was cut mm. down before release. It was like the fight within the studio happened before the movie was out. And that's what caused the the weaker product to be distributed, let's say. Because 
like Kingdom of Heaven it's an interesting movie in that case because the movie in the director's cut version that the movie is like three and a half hours it mm. is a very good and dense and complicated movie and the movie that was released on theaters is absolutely boring and worthless but <laughs> in the case of Heaven's Gate there was a pretty similar uh, cut to the version that you saw that was released to critics in 1979 and was absolutely destroyed Uh, and uh, there's even a famous story that Michael Camino asked the producer going why are they not drinking the champagne during intermission and they go it's because they're fucking hating the movie Um, you think that would make them want to drink the booze (laughs) yeah like you think so but like I, I suppose I don't know but uh, that caused the, the, the movie to be pulled out of theaters. And Michael Camino went back and re-edited the movie down to like to the, the version that got released in theaters. And that's oh. the first version that I saw. And I, so, like, I had known the movie by reputation. When I saw it, I still liked the movie. But I could see that it, like, it didn't actually make sense as a movie. And mm-hmm. also, when we get to it... like. The shit that they cut out <laughs> wrecks the movie because, <laughs> like, I think that this movie, like, even when you start, it's like it's one of those few films that require three and a half hour duration because <laughs> it needs that grandeur. It is an epic. It is like novelistic in a way that, like, scenes individually just move into each other, and like individually they don't have as much power. You need the time to, so it becomes dramatic whenever the everything comes to to its climax uh, at the end. Um, I think that, but at the same time, it's interesting because the movie somehow benefits, especially watching this version. It benefits for the tragedy of what happened to the movie back then. Because mm-hmm. there's a melancholy for an era, like for an ideal that never existed. And I think <laughs> that it's the like amazing. It's how, a true folly. Yeah. And I think it's amazing how like it, it exists as a movie that it's like calling back that like they're they are going. Uh, the characters are pining for an America that has died. And the movie is kind of pining for the America that is there kind of thing. And I think it's uh, <laughs> such a criticism of, of the idea of America that it's always been bad. But like you, mm-hmm. you kind of like scrub under like shit like the Johnson Counting War. It, it's not in the history books that this ha- shit happened. And it did happen. It's like a lot more complicated than what's in the movie because it happened over many years. And I think it is interesting. I'll touch upon it and I'll uh, say about it later on. But the the characters that are listed in the movie are based on real people, but just by name only, really. Like, it's not like that person did this thing. Mm. It's more that there was like a Nate Nate Champion. There was uh, Ella. There was... uh, Kirk Christopherson, <laughs> James Avril. Uh, the guy that is really, uh, funnily enough, the one that is really, really accurate is the head of the fucking Cato Association. Like, there's even pictures oh. of him wearing those hats and stuff. Like, Sam Waterston. <laughs> the hats are hilarious. Like, Sam Waterston is, uh, looks exactly like he did and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I think that the movie being the one that killed New Hollywood, <laughs> it, it, like, it, it destroyed it. 
in a way, it has the same kind of like melancholy to the idea the 80s of the movie. killed New Hollywood. <laughs> I don't think yeah, but it, it. <laughs> it was the, this movie killed it. Like, uh, this is the movie because it killed the United Artists, the studio that produced it went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Because it's like a fucking Disney went bankrupt. Like it was the biggest producer movie. Like to tell, you, like they lost the, like a hundred and thirty something million dollars, like in equivalent money to yeah. today. Like, well, like <laughs> if you think about it, the movie cost like the initial budget of the movie was eleven million dollars, which is a lot of money for the time. Yeah. It, it ended up costing thirty-seven million dollars. <laughs> it was like three and a half times over budget. And it made back only $4 million. So, like, Whoa. of course it's going to... Like, it's famously the movie that fucking John Hurt got so bored during the production that he went off to do fucking Elephant Man. And when he came back, they were, he still had to wait to shoot the rest of his scenes. <laughs> because, again, it's like the thing that makes this movie what it is. is Michael Camino's, like, folly in itself of the the perfectionism of trying to get absolutely perfect shots with <laughs> 2000 extras in every fucking shot like it's amazing and i think there's such a fucking like similarly there there's a reason why this movie is influential within filmmakers even the guys that like saw the mysterious cut for years the even the the uh, uh, just linking to Brad Dorif that is there the the guy uh, David Simon not David Simon what's the guy his name that did Deadwood David Milch David Milch yeah so uh, the people like David Milch enlisted Heaven's Gate as an influence because it actually captures the day to day life of a place and mm. I think that it's incredibly important for a film like this to be able to portray that. Because then you know what is the end of the status quo. Very interesting also a film that portrays the the second crime of American history. That is like second generation immigrants treatment of third generation immigrants. Mm-hmm. Of first generation immigrants coming at that period of time. And it's a, a movie that it's hasn't aged at all. Like you can see that, you know, mm-hmm. like people that claim to be talo american or persian american or whatever american irish american and then you're like the immigrant and suddenly you're another is the way that like uh, they portray nate champion that is like somebody that is still learning the language or whatever but he's able to like pretend Mm -hmm. enough to be american enough but he'll never be my family's starving you know that that don't give you room to steal you look like one of us you work for them I'll decide what I am. And I think it's also interesting the other part of like Chris Christopherson being a, a traitor to his class because he is from the same Aristocracy. people. Yeah, like from the Cattle Barons. So I think it's a movie that is uh, especially timely for America nowadays. The, mm. uh, same uh, rhetoric. Yeah. The, and also it's a, a, a movie that it shows... Um, that sometimes even if it's a losing battle, it is worth fighting. And I think it has, it, it echoes the feeling of the country about somebody that, like it, it's no coincidence that Michael Camino first did a movie about Vietnam and then he made mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. That it is a very post-Vietnam movie. 
now that we're in isolation it's just about the right time to pick movies that are three and a half hours long yeah um, i think that it's i thought that it would be a movie for like uh worst case scenario you'd find interesting and find topics to talk about uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's a genuinely uh, a great movie. Uh, I watched it with Alex, obviously, and she was like, I don't know if I enjoyed it because like it made me feel terribly sad, but it is a great <laughs> movie kind of thing. And we kept talking about it for days after. And I think that the reason why it's extremely sad is that at no moment in the entirety of the movie, you think that there's any chance that the main characters are going to win. Mm-hmm. you for the, and it makes it like such an interesting tragedy and stuff and the other part that i thought it was incredibly interesting when it came out is that people could not understand understand isabel Huppert's performance and it's an amazing performance but they just couldn't get around their heads of like a girl that is able to like a character that is exactly the same as men are portrayed back in the day that is like you can love two people because women are meant to be more pure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also somebody that is able to control their own sexuality as well. They can be like a sexual being, but not like a damsel in distress. You son of a bitch. Is that what the present was for? I think you would have stopped fucking me around and tell me directly what's on your mind. And stuff that they just couldn't understand it, but like I reckon that it's like on purpose that Camino picked a European actress that would be like outside because like the French were more progressive on that side at that time. Mm-hmm. That like she wouldn't bring because even like somebody like I don't know who be like you, you see this and the, with the Jeff Bridges link, it's like you see fucking uh, Faye Dunaway in. Not Faye Dunaway. Uh, who was she? Um, like whoever is the the actress that is in fucking King Kong from 1977. With Jeff Bridges, Charles Grodin, and introducing Jessica Lange as the beauty who charmed the beast. You know, like it's not too much apart from uh, a character from the 40s. You know what mm. I mean? That it's like male characters were able to develop a lot more, but not female characters you know like uh, you couldn't have be a character that is two things and i think that she's really the heart of the movie and i think it, it's it's a great performance yeah like uh, i i do think that chris christopher like it killed chris christopherson's career in this movie as well which is a pity i think because like uh the two big movies that he acted on was like uh, star is born and this mm-hmm. and i think that he's really good like for a musician turned Actor. So like, oh. And then he just had to go back to his normal life it, as a musician. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess it's, it's the weirdest career as well because he didn't want to be a singer either. He just wanted to be a songwriter. And then, like, he became this massive star, like, it's Delhi. But, like, I think it's a very empathetic performance and a very, like, low key performance, but also it has a depth of emotion and complexity that it's rare to see in movies mm. um, I, I think uh, like everything down the the running orders one of the best casts kind of thing it's like it's the last Hollywood movie of its time it's like the the last let's throw money at the shit and make it epic kind of thing you know like it's a movie that cannot be made again like nowadays they'll be they'll put CGI and stuff like that 
And I think also like because of your uh, attraction to to images and how movies are shot and stuff, I think that it is My attraction to images. <laughs> Well, like you are attracted to beautiful imagery. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's just a funny way to put it. And I, I think that this is uh, the cinematographer's best-looking movie. I think like there's so many just mind-blowingly beautifully framed and staged scenes throughout the mm. movie, and I think that they really create like it, it, they're images that just stick in your brain and it's like it, it keeps getting called back to so uh, yeah like that'd be like the uh my opening salvo anyways uh, <laughs> all 19 minutes of it um like this movie fairly long-winded but hopefully with depth um if this episode ends up being longer than oj i swear to god <laughs> um without further ado um oh well like with it with a further ado uh, passing baton again like i think you kind of answered the the question there it's like how much did you know about the the movie or the legacy that the movie had Mm. in in hollywood i suppose i probably had a dim idea of this movie like once it kind of started i was like okay yeah there's definitely imagery of this that i've seen before um I don't I don't have a massive sort of knowledge of Chris Christopherson. I don't like I've never seen um a Star is Born, any of the versions of it. Um he's sort of there in the corner of my mind. Yeah. I don't really think about him. Um yeah, I just want to say as well, side note, the tagline for this is the only thing greater than their passion for America was their passion for each other. Oh uh, Jesus. <laughs> they really didn't know how to sell this movie. They did not. The posters are bizarre. Um yeah, so uh, I want to say just like right off the bat, I didn't hate this. Okay. So <laughs> like it's in it's funny how people swing in two directions with us, where like it's people calling this the worst film ever made or the biggest cinematic disaster of all time. And but I I think that's before this version came out. It's like watching the the other version. Yeah. It, 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 like you can understand why somebody wouldn't like the movie. But at the same time, it is a movie like you can't deny that is a well-made movie. So it's yeah. kind of like, how can you call it the worst movie of all time? With like, I don't know. What well, that? That's it. Like, there, there's you can't you can't say it's a complete failure because there's obviously things of merit here. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely like I think people who say that are are just like knee-jerking it, or people who even people who watch the full version and just didn't connect with it at all. Um, in saying that, I did strongly dislike it. Um, <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah. Um, it's funny how I normally love like stories of you know the folly of Hollywood and you know movies that they're 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 filmmaking the whole process was such a disaster that they got their own movie just about that much like Apocalypse Now or you know <laughs> like Burden of Dreams and stuff like that like I love that shit because it's. It's always fun whenever you watch scenes and you're you're seeing like people try to bend their will to try and make something, you know, and like the drama, the reshoots, the like destroying of budgets. I love that shit. It's great. But I I think only if like somewhere within there I can see the film either could have been a masterpiece or else no matter what would have always been a disaster. You know, like like the room or whatever, you know, yeah. like the, the the complete opposite of that. Um yeah, this is neither. Um, it 
it's a handsome picture. It's it's you know it it's it's beautiful. It's scaled. It's grand. It's sepia. It's <laughs> it's populated by all these handsome people doing handsome roles in their handsome period clothes. But twenty minutes into this, um, when they're still in Harvard, and pretty much all that's been established is that frat parties are not a new invention. Um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, we're still here. Okay, we're still, okay, we're, st we're still, okay, we're still here. Okay, 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 we've gone, we've gone forward in time. Cool, cool, okay. Um, it, this might, it might, might be one of the worst paced things I've ever watched. And I say that not as an overall pacing of the story, because I think, like, you said something earlier about, um, you know, the build up to the eventual climax of the thing and the melancholy of it and and you know and, and kind of meeting the characters and all the build-up to it and stuff and that in itself I think is interesting um scene to scene like you can feel the dead weight like it hangs in the air like a bad smell like <laughs> every scene and like I feel like the the actors know it as well like there's like just making people pause and just holding on shots does not add dramatic weight. It adds weight. <laughs> so it's funny, like, <clears throat> it doesn't add anything to their characters either. That's what really bugged me is that, like, by the time they got to the scene where they're all shooting at each other and, like, Isabel Huppert's there and you're looking at her going, she should be dead by now, but I know the film's not <clears throat> going to kill her because she's going to kill, she's going to die later in a dramatic fashion in somebody's arms. And then she fucking does. But anyways, we'll get to Isabel Huppert. <laughs> I know that I didn't care about anybody because when they all get killed, I didn't care. And, like, by the time we got to that battle scene, I was just convulsing with boredom um oh jesus <laughs> like for the time the, like, evil, hate it. for the time the evil mustache twirling capitalists come it's like <laughs> i'm just happy that they all perished um <clears throat> what made me think of and it's funny you were saying there about how some movies need to be as long as they are and like we've just done one colonel blimp like and, you know, we talk about this and I'm thinking about this so much, like, just in general, because I think about Colonel Blimp a lot because I love that film so much. And, like, you know, John would talk about it and stuff. And, um, like, when you're talking about, like, Teo and how when he's giving his big speech and how it gets to the point where he's, he's, he's like, talking about being in uh, in Berlin and, and coming in the countryside and finally getting to the to seeing the, the, the hospital where I spent some of my time and... Almost 40 years ago. Where I met this man and, you know, you so much time has passed and character development has passed and, like, love's won and lost. By the time you get to him saying that, it hits you like a, you know, oh. Like, the complete fucking polar opposite of that is when, like, John Hurt. We'll get to John Hurt because he's saying that John Hurt lying around bored and going off and making another film, and then coming back and realizing he still couldn't shoot. It's not surprising when you think about him in this film, but um, like they have their whole big uh Harvard thing at the start, and then we have John Hurted with his like cattle baron friends, and oh, he's so conflicted, but he's also just drunk, and then like Chris Christopherson turns up and. Why the hell did you come here? Oh, why do we do anything, Billy? 
I feel no like they have their little kind of billiards moment and stuff and I feel no weight whatsoever because I mean it's not that you can't have time jumps but it just it I had no I had no connection to their relationship at all it just felt empty and like I I have, I have no idea why John Hurt is in this film um like <laughs> I feel like he walked off another lot into this movie like <laughs> It's the point at which I completely forgot he was in it, and then he turns up again, going like, "I was, I wish I was in Paris," and I'm like, "I wish I was in Paris too, John." Last year I was in Paris. <laughs> I love Paris. There's one point, like in the middle of the battle, where somebody says to somebody, like, "Sometimes I wonder why you're here at all," and then like a couple of shots later, John Hurt turns up, and I'm like, "Hmm." Um, <laughs> How fitting. And then he turns around and he's like, he's just, he spits out of like, you know, dead flesh, just new grass or whatever. It's like, why are you here? <laughs> when fix is equal, then justice must prevail. Shut up, Billy. Oh, I'm heartbroken. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I like the more I thought about it and the more I wrote my notes, the angrier I got. I'm sorry. I, I can tell like because you started with I don't hate this movie, but it just sounds like you do. The plotting theme of the thing as well of like and like everything you said about like this being like the forgotten history of of like America and how they don't talk about it and how it's just the same crimes perpetrated over and over again with like no no ability to like look inwards or see what you are as a nation even as a nation is building itself and, and how they just make the same mistakes over and over again and then like package it as a whole new thing when really no it's just racism or it's just xenophobia or it's just classism or it's whatever like over and over again and like that idea is so interesting and again something that is dealt with so well in Colonel Blump which is a movie that's made in 1943 this is 1980 and I'm like what do you like it's like oh it's the end of New Hollywood it's like what is there 1500 New Hollywood movies that could tackle topics like that more interestingly and deeper than this film does um I was thinking earlier about um, uh, the director, and I have no um, like great love of the Deer Hunter. Like I don't hate it. Um, like I've seen like people talking because that's obviously like his masterpiece as, as yeah. sort of like uh, accepted masterpiece. Well, or really, whatever. his only other good movie because like this oh. killed him. Like I don't know how you feel about the Deer Hunter. Um, I. Like, I remember watching it when we were in college and it being one of those movies that you watch because it's like, you know, cinema. Like, I, Deer I Hunter, uh, I uh, originally watched it and I was like, oh, I didn't get it. And then I watched it again. The older I got, the more I like it. And it's like mm. the younger I was. I, I suppose it's the same with Heaven's Gate that it's like for me. Um, but perhaps like we'll disagree eternally about it instead. Like. <laughs> First time that I watched Deer Hunter, I was like, oh, I was expecting more war, the movie, whatever, because they, <laughs> I know, because it's like a war movie, supposedly, and stuff. Mm. And I think that the best parts in the movie are the other, uh, the other bits, the mm. bits that are like epic, but small, like the wedding scene that is like massive. And the first time that I watched it, like the wedding scene goes for like 30 minutes and I'm like, 
why is this wedding 30 minutes and it's like the build-up or whatever obviously we disagree on the effectiveness of that in heaven's gate but i mean i feel like it's better in the deer hunter <laughs> like uh uh like but i quite like the deer hunter i think that it's like the performances are great i think that he does get good work out of actors mm. like uh i do want to say i really like christopher walken in this like i, I kind of yeah. like everybody but um christopher walken i think is kind of underrated in this and it's a movie that i've never even really you know thought of him in and obviously the deer hunter is the big thing and stuff but yeah he's really good in this um but uh there's just one quote that i want to just say to end this on that i saw yeah. in a review i think that's so good <laughs> The long gaps between lines and each overwrought scene gives you plenty of time to think about how this could have been a two-hour film. <laughs> well, at the same time, there's like a lot of reviews since the release of um, this edit of the movie that complements the pacing and the, the fact that when the movie got butchered that you... Because the movie was shot to be paced this way, mm. whether you agree it or not with it or not i'm sure it like, was <laughs> yeah like but the thing is that like if you cut a movie that is like shot this way into a yeah, two-hour movie gonna, it makes absolutely no it. fucking yeah, sense that's kind of how i say that i don't think it could ever have been a masterpiece because there's and nothing I, there and i do I, I don't completely um uh i'm not completely surprised by your reaction to the movie to be honest because I feel it is one of those movies. There's a reviewer. I can't remember who uh, said it. That like, if uh, he mentions, if you're grabbed by the sheer melancholy of the movie, the pacing becomes uh, an asset to the movie. But mm -hmm. if you're not grabbed by it, it it is very like the pacing is glacial. But I do think that it is like for me because it grabbed me. I think it's uh, an asset mm -hmm. to it. But if it doesn't grab you from the beginning, I can't see this movie being anything but really boring because it's like nothing happens for two hours and then something happens. But I do think that there's like many, many memorable scenes. Like the one of the scenes that was cut from the theatrical release that I think just on a technical level, was an absolute fucking travesty, is the skating scene. I was going to say, is it the roller disco? The roller <laughs> disco was uh, cut, and I think it's one of the most beautiful, like, s scenes in cinema. The way that it's shot, and just the life that it has, and then, like, how it cuts to them dancing, and there's, like, this really painterly scene of them, that the band is just by itself playing, and in a way, like, it's a little metaphor for the entire movie. But just going back to you, what you're saying about John Hurt, like uh, Hurt actually was like, he was more bored because it took long time to shoot, but like uh, he was bored of in between takes, but <laughs> he is on record saying that there was a better movie there that like the American audience saw. So I like, I think he was committed to the role. And I think it is an kind important of what Chris Christopherson said as well. I think that he he knows that it was a fraught production, but he was just glad to be there because the director had such like vision whether or not he was yeah. able to <laughs> to to bring it across. And I do think that there was a lot of like bang one jag uh, jumping because the movie like for two three years there was just bad press about what was going on on set <laughs> that then like. You know, it sells newspaper to fall over each other to manufacture a disaster in a way. Like it's <laughs> the 
unfortunately the the way the you know when you're a movie critic you're paying the bills as well like <laughs> it's not like whenever you're how can i put it is that like there was also like few films that were coming out and there was also like a, a busy kind of um a busy industry that didn't have really uh, a place yet in mm. or you know like Roger Eber had just started out like fucking pulling like the idea of a movie critic was mm. like as a like We're still actual, like cage a cinema and <laughs> yeah it's a, like, like it's kind of like I think that there was a certain and also because they were trying to break off the like 40s criticism that I was really like mm. oh studios will stop sending us movies to review if mm-hmm. we're mean to the movie so like <laughs> even when you hated the movie you were kind of like nice to it Pauline Kael though Pauline Kael was going during the 70s yeah yeah like she was going through like uh, but that's what I mean that it was still like this was the first big production mm-hmm. like you know you can imagine this happening as well whenever like Cleopatra came out mm-hmm. uh, you know but it didn't mm-hmm. like it was a massive flop and it cost the studio like nearly bankrupted or whatever but you didn't have people going it's the worst movie ever i think what you're saying about like john hurt's character i think that um like he's important in a way like i don't know um obviously in your case uh, you don't think it was successful portrayed but even in the beginning that he says to chris chris christopherson that it's like oh it's over james that it's like that kind of person, especially from a uh, wealthy background, especially at that time, that your major concern was being part of a club rather mm-hmm. than like actually doing things. And it's hinted in the movie that is Chris Christopher said that brings him, that brings John Hurt to Wyoming to, to join the Cato organization because Chris Christopher's character was part of the organization until he got part. You were blackballed out of this club long ago, April. You're trespassing. We could have you shot here legally. Legally, you bastards have a right to protect your own property. But unless you got a signed legal warrant for every name on that death list, stay out of my county. John Hurt is just stuck there because he can't, he doesn't have the bravery to like go outside and become the sheriff or something. But -hmm. at the same time, like he doesn't have the courage to leave and be ostracized because he sees how they ostracize Chris Christopherson out. And And that's why it kills him. Yeah. And I do think that it it, it makes uh, also sense why is that distance that you mentioned. Like uh, the, I think it's the part of like the both admitting that they like each other, but also that whenever like Chris Christopherson drew the line on the sand, mm-hmm. that connection that they had from Harvard that brought them there together was broken, and it shows also why like when they, they it, I think it's a point that the very next scene. Uh, Chris Christopherson is called a traitor to his own class. You offset every effort we make to protect our property and that of members of your own class. You're not my class, Ken. You never will be. You'd have to die first and be born again. But also, like, I think what you were saying about the, the mustache twirling Sam Watterson <laughs> performance, I think that the, the original version, there's like one shot, which is, I think, uh, one of the, this thing of 
cinema that sometimes like just taking very little off changes the <clears throat> meaning of the movie is that whenever he is saying about the death list to the organization the first time and mm -hmm. then John Hurt is uh, criticizing it, Sam Waterstone gives the performance as if he is on the side of John Hurt. And it's almost like he can't agree with that because then he won't be the president anymore because the public opinion and is on the so other well side. Connected. <laughs> yeah, that it's kind of like I have to do this to stay in my position. But it's like the moment that he becomes uh, um, fucking mustache twirling <laughs> is when he after he kills the first person that he f actually kills somebody. And there's a moment in that performance that he becomes energized afterwards that it's no longer like it is a game to him in a way that then he has lines like going like, I am the amateur and you're the army man to the mm. to the guy and stuff that he becomes like actually in a way to rationalize his own behavior that he it becomes like a war game to him. It becomes like. In a way that John Hurt mentions it afterwards, like this is these are not Indians, we can't kill them all. Yeah, I, I love that line. <laughs> and I think that it's like uh, uh, no one will care if we kill the Indians. That is the interesting part of like what the movie is trying to say. That even somebody that knows that they're doing wrong can be corrupted by that thing to become that mustache twirling person. It's like Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon didn't start out that way, the way that they ended up. Like, uh, wow. uh, so like, was Nixon born or grown? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just in the darkness, like a mushroom, like that Philip Larkin poem. Um, I, I do think also, like, that this movie, he, whether you love it or hate it, I think is probably one of my favorite production designs in any movie ever. Like, I think that the attention to detail, to even like the mattresses that they use and stuff like uh, it's one of those movies that no time like takes you out of mm. the time period that you are in especially like how the movie starts whenever he's like in the train station and he goes to the shop and you have all the uh, yeah. the guys kind of just there yeah, that there's like such like attention to detail it's amazing everything it's, it's ev no at no point do they cut corners and that's like impressive but when you're not interested in the story at all, it just becomes like, that's wasteful. <laughs> but uh, at times it's like, I do think that maybe it's like from, I do have, I have seen quite a lot uh, slow cinema over the years that is like really, no. that they'll put this to no. completely pedestrian. No, I completely refuse to accept that argument because I like slow cinema. I think when well used, it's incredibly powerful and you can fill moments with melancholy or dread or sadness or whatever. You can sit two characters and set them stare at each other for 10 minutes and it can be engaging. The flaw and the folly of this movie is that they are inserted, they are there, but they hold nothing. They hold no weight. So that's where the boredom comes from. Like, I mean, if, you're, if you can sit and watch something like Once Upon a Time in Anatolia and not find it even the slightest bit boring, yeah. then... You know, like I, I refuse that altogether because. But like at the same time, I, I it's know, like I don't know if, 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 like you know, being able to watch slow things is like is it a tolerance you can build up maybe or maybe not. But I do think that it, movie. This is a boring I, movie. Like, uh, uh, but at the same time, it's the it's the weird thing that I 
those moments may or may not be there like the that you're saying that kills the pacing but because the movie had me on its clutches i never noticed them mm-hmm. uh like it's the kind of movie that even whenever like i really started thinking about it whenever we were talking uh f- like in the sense of like thinking about it for the podcast on how to analyze it etc i started thinking about it that way with alex after watching the movie you know sometimes especially the movies that i've picked that I know well, like I'll be watching it and it's like, oh, almost making mental notes myself about the movie. But with this one, it just carries me away. And then I like, it's the, I, I do think that it is a beauty of cinema that it can't be as polarized as that. Like in the sense that it's like, a, it's a completely subjective experience. Like you can both like, just because you think it's a bad movie, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. And if I say, like, at the same time, I, I don't hold it to the same degree of estimation as I hold, let's say, Colonel Blimp hmm. and stuff. Like, I, I do think that there are parts of the movie that I, could be, like, the, the in a way, it's like, I don't know that it is because of the filmmaker, because I don't know I would trust more complication on Michael Camino's hands because otherwise the movie would be five hours long. Uh, but the the issues that like the actual real history behind the the movies as like interesting as the movie itself. Uh, the way that Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know more about it because the setting and the like it is interesting and the idea of like the end of the west and the turning into the like 20th century and like that's really interesting and that's why this was so disappointing as well that's like uh like uh, the concept of water rights at the time was uh actually complex and interesting um james Averill wasn't a rich person like he actually uh, may or may not have been married to ella uh yeah. Because, like, uh, supposedly they married secretly because if they didn't marry secretly, she if they weren't married, she could hold land of her own and he'd be able to hold land of his own under the Homestead Act. So, Mm -hmm. um, but they were uh, lynched by a big rancher, uh, Mm -hmm. the two of them. Uh, And she wasn't a prostitute, but people accused her of being a prostitute because she would uh, like do favors for farmers and stuff. So it's like obviously the people. In the end, the movie punished her for it by having a very long drawn out, drawn out even for this movie, horrible, horrible rape scene that I find really awful, and I don't think that the movie earned it, and I don't think this movie did Isabel Huppert a whole lot of favors in general. Like, she's given something to do, for sure, but, I mean, the arc of, I love two people, and who will I pick, and, like, I like her, I I do feel like she's a bit wasted in this, I feel like there's an awful lot of her just kind of swatting around, and, and, like, yeah, that, that scene particularly just very, very, very much bothered me, and then... It's like, oh, she's in the battle, but she's not gonna die until she's, like, gonna go marry him, and... I I do wonder like if they chopped out the entire love element of this, what would it have been like, and if they'd just taken the time to like spend more time with the actual people in the town. Yeah. And, like I feel like very few of the actual like foreigners have names or characters. I feel like by the time we get to the point where we're like reading out their names and they're all shouting, it's like I don't care about these people. Um, like it's like we're not savages. It's like. Well, I assume so, because I guess that's the point the movie's making. But like... Well, like I think that in a way, uh, 
it is the 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 case but uh like i think it is a comment on it as as well like uh, like i said uh, of the post vietnam era thing mm-hmm. i think that both both the Cato Association and James Avril, like James Avril, in a way, is a little bit like a metaphor for the uh, U.S. government in Vietnam. It's like an outsider that technically is trying to do good for the people, but everything that he does, like just escalate the situation over and over. And even though you're living with them and being like completely empath- empathizing to their cause, you're still separate from them. And then whenever like your part, you can either die with them. But if you survive, you just walk away at the end and then you have a complete separate life. Well, they have to deal with the... on your boat. <laughs> yeah, oh, like, yeah the it... ending was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but like go- going back to the uh, rape scene, I do think that like it'd be misplaced if something like that didn't wasn't depicted but i don't know if it should have been her character because it is the the thing that it happened like that is the horrible thing whenever you bring men that way and it has to be said that that yeah these things happened so and i do think that it also like even narratively speaking whenever like uh um whenever like fucking christopher walken comes in and shoots uh, uh like sees the the side effect it, like actually like of the the people that he's working with mm. and also i think that it is clearly the reason why she wants to keep shooting people at the end it's not like just oh, i'm a heroine or whatever it's like uh, she's putting herself in danger because of the anger of what happened to her in that moment so mm. I think similarly to Straw Dogs, uh, that is another like obviously movie that has uh, 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 contentious rape scene. I think a lot of, for me, for it to be to be given the pass is that the movie doesn't forget about it straight away, especially to the female character. Like that, I don't think that the movie does, but at the same time, I I do side with you that it could have been dealt with more. But it, that's why I'm saying that it's not Just a hundred. on it so much as well. Like, okay, but, we but, oh, she's naked again. Great. But then again, like this movie lingers with everything. So like a kind of like, like I've mentioned before, the I I I I, I, I do not like like sexual assault as just like a plot, plot point. point to make somebody <laughs> dislike people. But at the same time, it's like, oh, no, wait, they're really bad. But I think that is also like the part of the of how there's even like a level of badness within evilness. Like there's the the evilness of the guys that are just doing it for money. And then there's mm. the evilness of the people that enjoy it. Both of them are bad, but it's kind of like they're always together. So that's the danger of because you can never know which one is which kind of thing, I think. Yeah, when you hand out money to a random group of people and deputize them and allow them to go kill people <laughs> some people are going to be mean about it but i, I do think uh, uh, like uh, going by I, I do agree with you that in a sense like uh, the immigrants could have been given a, a a bigger presence within the movie uh maybe less per like less uh shown or portrayed as large groups maybe yeah 
as well. Like, I think that since, like, characters are so fictionalized or whatever, the character that should have been formed is John, uh, John Bridges, the Jeff Bridges character. They should have changed yeah. them to be an immigrant. Because then it's like, okay, you're not the hero of the movie, per se. Mm. But you're, like, you empathize enough with somebody like that. And he's like a that. big enough character as well. Yeah. Like, you know, not that obviously I think Jeff Bridges is great in this because he's very, like, charming and I love young Jeff Bridges. He's so yeah. cute. Um, Any final thoughts? Or you, um, you're bored of the conversation and just want to go to favorite things anyways? I mean, I enjoyed talking about it. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, there are... Ask me my favorite thing. Is your favorite thing that you enjoy talking about it? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, it's the cinematography, like, hands down. Um, in saying that, like, I don't know if because I was so blinded by how bored I was, if it detracted from it somewhat, but I, I still can't stand here and say that it's not fabulous. And the restoration is incredible. And there are some, like, like moments when he's not trying to stuff the frame. And I don't say Vilnus, I say feckin' what's his name, director man trying to stuff the frame with I think we can get another 14 extras into that tiny corner of the screen there when he's not overflowing um there are there are moments that are really quite beautiful and I there's something in the way it's a way I have like of like young Christopher Walken where like his face there's really something to it in this movie and I think part of that is the the way that it's shot and they the, there's a real like classic um classic hollywood not new hollywood classic hollywood into how like like portraits are done and like um any of the shots of uh <laughs> of chris christopherson because like he's a man with very vibrant eyes um and same for isabel Huppert. like she's given a kind of a like even though she's a sort of a like wild character she's given us sort of a like you know they they, they accentuate her sort of like pretty features and lovely naked body which we see lots of um what was your favorite thing uh my favorite thing is the sense of melancholy that the movie has like uh, i think that like i said if it grabs you that's what drives you through the movie and i think that it's a movie that makes me feel something and like it has its flaws i'm not um one of the people that would say that the movie is perfect Mm -hmm. but uh i also like think that a movie that has like the metaphor like visual metaphor like the the fighting over around the tree in harvard and have it as such a clear mirror afterwards but uh, but it has so much weight in between kind of thing what that meant and what this means kind of thing and i think that the the harvard side it is quite long but i think it's necessary to uh both to just set the tone of what you're going to watch. And I think sometimes movies forget that that's important in a prologue. Mm. That especially uh, since it's uh, to almost the definition of a novelistic prologue, that it is like literally just to establish a tone and style, especially if you're trying something different. So mm. by the time that you get to the actual plot, you're not looking for... Like, not trying to understand because there's enough complication to understand what's going on, let's say. Mm. 
I, I did love that kind of like proto Oxford yeah kind but it, of vibe. It, it was shot in Oxford uh, because mm. like Harvard has changed too much to be to be what it is. But it's also like important because it sits there because it's like directly after the American Civil War. So it's like mm. the like almost like the young people coming out of there like hopeful. It's like it's a country that is no longer corrupted because mm. the corruption of slavery has gone. And then you have like 20 years later that it's like nothing has changed. It's just like official now. It's like the rules, you know, it's like. It's like it came out in 1980 when still nothing has changed. And yeah. we're talking about it in 2020 and still nothing has changed. And I think that that's. The circle of life. That melancholy and exactly like what it says I, I enjoy uh, about the movie. I think that both the cinematography and the score that we haven't mentioned, but I think the score oh. is great. And it, it plays a huge part of it being like both memorable musically, but also not be grandiose. It's a, mm-hmm. I think it's part of the why the movie gets away with being as grand scale as it does because it's not trying to be overpowering emotionally. It's not trying to like bring your emotions through like stuff emotions through music <laughs> kind of thing. It, it just builds it. But again, I think that that's uh, why if it would fail like you it did to you if that emotion doesn't grab you. I think you have a massive affection for it yeah. as much as anything and of like just an appreciation that someone tried to make this film. Yeah. As much as, which I don't think is a bad thing because I, suppose I that they say that a lot about stuff where I'm, I'm glad that this was made. But like <laughs> you, you, you can't detach this movie ever since the release from it's mm-hmm. making off and what happened so like the narrative of the movie is as important as the narrative of the movie itself so i think that that plays to part of my enjoyment of the movie because i can see that kind of melancholy like go through the filmmaking process as well so that's my mm-hmm. take on that uh, what's your least favorite thing probably the pacing like it just because when it starts um I was like, ooh, okay, interesting setting. I'm like, we're starting here. Okay, yeah, cool. And then as it, I said, it, 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 for the first maybe hour, I, I, I could feel the weight and was like, oh God. But I was, I was still giving it a chance and still giving it a chance because there were things I liked about it. But because it has such a never-ending three hours and 40 minutes later on time, it beat me down. <laughs> I just there was never once once I got we got out of Harvard and onto the train I was never I was never really it was never bringing me back you know um so probably that yeah I I, like I wanted to enjoy it I find it exasperating is how I would describe the experience um what was your least favorite thing like uh, I uh I wouldn't criticize the movie for its quote-unquote white savior uh, complex because it's a movie that is actually commenting on that mm. idea kind of thing that is like you both created the problem and then you be- tried to yeah, become the hero yeah. to, to solve it but I do agree with you that uh, the movie would have benefited and been better and also would have uh, done a lot for the messaging of the movie to actually um, uh, have more uh foreigners to be in the forefront of the movie like it does help that like Isabel one of the three main characters is an immigrant in the shape of Isabel Hooper but she feels slightly 
outside the community because of her and role she's and stuff. She's got two men there to protect yeah. her. She's kind of... <laughs> uh, I do think that there's like some characterization is developed within the, the movie. So like you see during the battle scenes, there are like heartbroken mo- moments like the the woman that like has to <laughs> first kill one of her, like her husband because he's in pain and then mm-hmm. her legs get trampled by the cart which is one of the most horrible things and then mm-hmm. she shoots herself because it didn't mean anything they didn't mm-hmm. get anything i think that it's hugely affecting and stuff and i think a moments like that it has effect and like uh, a heart uh, i do also like to to bring up the uh all the actors that are like both extras and like just below the top line of cast are actually eastern europeans like oh. they're uh like alex could pick up ukrainian russian like we picked up like a bit of serbian oh. and stuff around so like they they they're not like people just saying like shit like the like phonetically <laughs> whatever they're actually having full conversations that probably are improvised or whatever and i think that is the benefit not only that they're foreign as well like actually foreign so they look the part but also like the mixture of different cultures there's like the germans and uh, mm. uh makes it what it has to be but also like the casting of like the families together that you can tell like like i my favorite they shot look of the movie, very authentic <laughs> my favorite shot of the movie is when the little kid sees the guy roller skating while playing the violin <laughs> and he just looks up to his parents like did you see that kind of thing and it's such a little real cute moment that it's like uh like life it is like it is back then as it is now the People are entertained, etc. With a modern hat, like a 2020 hat, that mm-hmm. they could have done to better portray the character that Isabel Huppert plays. But at mm-hmm. the same time, with 1980s hat, it's kind of like surprising that she gets as much as she does without being the prostitute with the heart of gold. I did think that, like, watching it, I did think that it was, like, interesting that L exists. Like when you mm. mentioned the rape scene, I was like, yeah, when I, I was rewatching it, I had forgotten that uh, that scene happened. And it was interesting that an actress that had, like, I think it that like this is not the only other rape scene that she portrayed. Mm. So it's kind of like interesting that she was so open and wanted to make a movie that would address that idea completely mm, head on. on. Like, I think that there are other flaws. I don't want to defend the movie to its end. I do think that, like, John Hurt's character could be better drawn, but I I can see what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see why they killed her the way that they do. I think they could have been better, but I think it's the way of, like, both killing the main villain, making it absolutely unsatisfying that he gets killed. You know what I mean? That it's like if he dies in the main battle, it's like, oh, but at least they got this son of a bitch. But it's like clear killing Jeff Bridges and her at the same time. It's like we lost because you lost like you killed one but you lost two mm-hmm. kind of thing. But um, it has its flaws, but mm-hmm. I'm willing to overlook it because I like it. A movie he picked because he liked it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so where can they find us? They can find us on Isolation. They can find us on Dublin Digital Radio every Monday. No, every second Monday, 11 to 12 on the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud. The Recommendation Game on Facebook at The Rec Game on Twitter and the Recommendation Game at gmail.com is our email. So Orla, it's your turn next week. What long movie are you picking? Uh, I think it's only like two hours. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Ooh. Um, uh, until then, uh, I was Orla Medina. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.